man, I'm telling you, this new sound system is just awesome. I don't know if you guys have noticed. You remember back before Dusty installed all this? Remember when it would get quiet like this and you would hear this? Anybody remember that buzz? You ever notice how quiet it is now in here? Because, man, I'm telling you, him and his hard work and Ron and, and Roger, I'm telling you, they, they did a lot of work up here. I appreciate these guys. And, you know, and I, you know, some, you know I say a lot, a lot of thank yous to the worship team up here. Somebody, a couple people that don't, that don't get any recognition because you never see them are the guys up there. Roger's doing the sound. He's been trying to figure out the new soundboard. Tony and, and, and um, Cody, they work on the, the PowerPoint, and you never see them, and they're so faithful to be up there every single week. So do me a favor. Show them your appreciation. We do thank you guys so very much. All right, well, hey, on that note, why don't you do me a favor? Open up a Bible and get to the book of Joshua in the Old Testament. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua. Today we are finishing our series, Hope That Heals. And uh, I'm talking about today about stepping into the unknown. How to have hope when you step into the unknown. The reality is, if you be honest with yourself, do you understand that you and I, we step into the unknown all the time, okay? Some of us are, have stepped into the unknown or are stepping into the unknown of a health issue, sickness. Something's going on and, and it's unknown. You've never been here before and you're not sure what's going to happen. Some of us step into the unknown of, of a death of a loved one, a death of a family member. And that's hard. And it's an unknown territory. Some of us step into the unknown of a financial situation, you, you, a loss of a job, or maybe it's a career change. It, it's an unknown. It, it, I, I don't know what, what, what's going to happen here. Where am I going? It's unknown. You know, Bailey and our graduates, they're stepping into the unknown of, man, I'm leaving home. And I'm stepping into a college life. I'm stepping into adulting. I'm stepping into, wow, uncertainty. Okay, but the reality is, man, there is uncertainty all around us and we are constantly stepping into it. And the the, the reality of of stepping into the unknown sometimes is this. How many of you know that fear and anxiety and worry and doubt, boy, it is quick to creep in. And not only does it creep in, it floods our hearts. It floods our mind. It gets us to the point that that's all we think about. That's all we can dwell on. But I'm telling you. In the midst, in the middle of the unknown, when you're walking into it, when you're stepping into it, when you're living in the unknown, you can still have hope. Instead of fear and doubt and worry, you can still have hope. And that's what I want us to look at from the book of Joshua today, is how can you and I have hope when we're stepping into the unknown? And so I hope you have your notebooks out. You have an outline in the the bulletin. But I'm asking that take notes because I believe that this message is going to help some of you today. But I also believe that this message is going to help some of you tomorrow. You may not be in the unknown yet, but maybe it's coming. And I pray that you can find hope in the unknown. And so here's the first thing. I find hope in the promises of God. I find hope when I'm in the unknown, I find it in the promises of God. 
And so there, starting in the book of Joshua, chapter 1, it says, After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, you and all of this people, into the land that I am giving them to the people of Israel. All right, now those first couple of verses are very significant because here's why Moses is dead. Now for you and I, that's just history. But to Joshua, that would have been extreme information because here's why. Moses was the guy. Moses was the one who brought Israel out of slavery and out of the bondage of Egypt. It was Moses that God worked through to perform one miracle after another for Israel. It was Moses that took Israel to Mount Sinai, and it was Moses that ascended to the top of the mountain and and spoke with God. It was Moses that God gave the law, his word to. It was Moses that spoke to God face to face. It was Moses that that was the, the, the face of leadership for 40 years for the nation of Israel. Moses was the poster child. In fact, Moses is a type of Christ. I mean, Moses was the guy. Every, every person in Israel looked to Moses, for, to his wisdom, to his leadership, to his counsel. And now that's gone. And now you have Joshua. Moses' assistant. Kind of think that about that for a moment. If you're an assistant on your job, how much leading are you really doing? Maybe a little bit. How many decisions are you really making as the assistant? Maybe a couple. But is the whole enchilada on your plate? No. It's on your leader's plate. They get to make all the decisions. They get to worry about everything. I'm just the assistant. Well, guess what? Now, Joshua is the leader. And God, the very first thing he tells Joshua is, hey, Joshua, now I want you to be the leader to this nation, and you and all of them go into the land. I don't know if you agree with me or not, but um, Joshua's stepping into some unknown. He's stepping into having to fill some mighty big shoes. He's stepping into realizing I have a very big um, task to accomplish. He's stepping into an unknown. You see, he's never led the nation of Israel before. It wasn't on his shoulders. It wasn't his task to do it. It was Moses. But now, guess who is it? It's his. He's never lived in Canaan. He visited it for a few days. But he's never lived there. He's never taken a group of people, of millions of people, into it. He is stepping into the unknown. And because of that, the very first thing that God says besides go into there, look at verse 3. God says to Joshua, he says, Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you, just as I promised Moses. From the wilderness And this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all of the land of the Hittites to the great sea toward the the going down to the sun shall be your territory. 
No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. In this initial moment, God tells Joshua, I want you to go. But the very first thing Joshua hears are promises. He hears two promises. One, it's regarding the land. A land that God had promised not just to Moses, but hundreds of years earlier to Joshua's great, 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 grandfather, Abraham. Because in Genesis 15 is where God was speaking to Abraham and says, Abraham, your people, your offspring are going to be as numerous as the stars, even though him and his wife are childless. And I'm going to give you a land, and you're going to dwell in it. And Abraham's like, okay, giddy up. And then he confirms it to Abraham's son, Isaac. Isaac, guess what? I'm giving you a land. And then he confirms it to Isaac's son, Jacob, also known as who? Israel. And then Israel, known as Jacob, here's the promise. I'm giving you this land. Well, they end up being slaves for 400 years, but then here's Moses. And God tells Moses, Moses, hey, you're going to come out of Egypt, and I'm going to take you to the land that I promised your forefathers. And they get to the promised land. They're like at the front door. They've been knocking on it. They're ready to go in, but only the people of Israel doubted. They were fearful, and they started to grumble against God. And God's like, okay, you know what? You're, you're, there's too much doubt going on. You can't go in. And for 40 years, they wandered the desert, being led by Moses. And now, after Moses' death, here is God once again making a promise. Joshua, this land is yours. Go into it. But not only does he promise the land, but notice in verse 5, he says, and no man will be able to stand against you. He's like, he's talking about the enemy. He's like, the enemy will not be able to oppose you in any way. Because I'm, I'm going to do something through you. You see, Moses, I mean, I've been saying this all to myself. Joshua has the promises of God. And here's the thing about Joshua. At that moment when God promises him the land and that the enemy won't be able to come against him. Hey, let me ask you, does Joshua have a choice to make? You know darn well he does. Either I believe God or what? Or I don't. Either I believe and trust in the promises or I don't. Well, here's what Joshua decided to do. God said it. I believe it. That settles it. And he trusted God. He trusted in the promises of God. He believed in the promises of God. And in fact, his entire life, he lived on and he believed in the promises of God. And even when it came to the end of his life, and Joshua has gathered all the leaders of Israel, and he's kind of commissioning them. He's kind of passing the Just as the torch was passed from Moses to Joshua, Joshua is now passing the torch of leadership to the leaders of Israel. And in the final message, here's what Joshua says to the leaders of Israel. He says, you know in your hearts and souls, all of you, that not one word has failed of all the good things that the Lord your God promised concerning you. All have come to pass for you. Not one of them has failed. Holy cow. Picture, put yourself in that position. When, if you're on your deathbed, will you be able to look back and go, you know what? God has been so faithful my entire life. Not one of his promises failed. 
That's where Joshua's at. He's able to say in his last moments of his life, man, God is so good. Not one of his promises failed. And every one of them came to pass. And now he's able to look at other people and go, you know as well as I do, in your hearts and in your soul, God does not fail. You see, this is what you and I need to understand, is that God makes promises. He makes promises to people in the Old Testament, and he makes promises for us in the New Testament. And God's promises do not fail. And the thing is, when it comes to the promises of God, when you are stepping into the unknown, you have a decision to make. Am I going to live on and believe in the promises of God, or am I not? Am I going to trust in what God has said, or am I not? You see, here's the thing. Joshua, throughout his whole life, that's what he decided to do. I'm going to trust God. I'm going to trust in the promises of God. Now hear this. I'm going to trust in the promises of God and not in his explanations. Now think about that for a moment. How many of you want God to explain himself when you're in the middle of the unknown? We want God to tell us the why, the how, and when is this going to end? And God, you need to do it rather quickly. God, this is making no sense, so you better explain yourself. We want the explanations of God, and we don't want to stand on the promises of God. You see, Joshua stood on the promises of God, and he didn't expect God to explain himself. He believed, and he's like, okay, if God is saying this, if God is telling me we have the land, he's, going to, he's telling me that, 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 that no enemy is going to be able to come against me, I'm going to trust that. And I'm not going to expect him to explain himself to me when he doesn't show up when I think he should. I'm not going to expect him to explain himself when, when, when things aren't going the way I think it should. He needs to tell me why it's not. How many of us do that? We want God to explain himself. You see, we need to understand that we have God's word and they are full of promises. It is not my job and it's not your job as a believer in Christ to figure out God. It's not our job to figure out why is God doing this? How come this is happening? How long is this going to take? That's not your job. Guess what your job is? God, I trust you. God, I believe in your promises, and I believe they do not fail. You know, jot these scripture references down. Psalm chapter 145, verse 13 says this. The Lord is faithful in all his words. Proverbs chapter 30, verse 5 says, every word of God proves true. And think about that. Every word of God. See, we're so conditioned by men. By people. Because how many of you know not every word of a person proves true? Not everything a person says is faithful. All right? So the problem is, is because we've been so conditioned to be disappointed by the lies and the, the, the untruths of people. Guess what we do? We put that on God. And so we may read a promise in the Bible, but here's what we do. We read it and we, go, and we put one little clause in there. But. What, what if? And we start to try to analyze the promise. We, well, I see the promise, but what if 
and we put an underlying in there. No, 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 we can't. We got to be able to take the word of God. We got to take the promise and say, I trust in the promise of God. We've just got to find them, settle on them, believe them, and live by them. And that's how you you first have hope in the unknown. You believe and trust in the promises of God. Here's the second thing. I find hope in the presence of God. So I find hope in the promises of God. I find hope in the presence of God. So starting in verse 5, it says, No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Put yourself in Joshua's shoes for a moment. I mean, Joshua's not like, you know, a 19-year-old. He's probably about 60. So he's, he's pretty mature in age. He's, he's an older guy. But here's what we're going to discover. Even though Joshua was Moses' assistant, he had the courage back 40 years ago to be able to go into the land of Canaan and come back and say, man, we can defeat these armies. We can do this. He had, he had some courage. But I think in this moment we're going to see here, I think he had some trepidation going on. He's just, I think the reality hit him. Holy cow, I'm in charge now. And there's a hundred or a couple million people. Everybody's looking at me going, okay, Joshua, Moses is dead. What are you going to do for us, buddy? He's realizing it's on me now. And God tells him, Joshua, as I was with Moses, so I be with you. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I sit and thought about that. I'm wondering if Joshua just kind of went, just like the weight just fell off his shoulders and he just kind of like, God's with me. You see, God is telling him, I am with you. He only requires one thing of Joshua. Look at verse six. So when he says, I will not leave you, I will never forsake you, he says, be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Be strong and courageous. God repeats that in verse 7, only be strong and courageous. He repeats it in verse 9, be strong and courageous. And what does this mean? First, what does it mean to be strong? Is he talking about Joshua's physical strength? His, his ability to be like, I, I can bench press 400 pounds. What's he talking about? Strong. Well, here's the thing about the word strong in Hebrew. He's not referring to um, physical strength, but it's actually the ability, the, the root idea is the ability to hold firmly to something. To hold on firmly to something. And that's what it means to be strong. And when he's talking about being courageous, courage does not mean the absence of fear. Courage is the the idea of to be able to keep my fear under control. So what God is saying, he says, when I want you to be strong and courageous, he's like, Joshua, you need to be able to hold firmly onto something to be able to keep your fear in check. So the question that we got to ask is, what does he have to hold on to firmly enough in order to keep his fear in check? What do you think? The promises. 
He's got to hold on to the promises of God. And what promise did God just make to him? I will never leave you. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Joshua, you're not alone. As you begin to walk in this unknown, Joshua, you're not alone. I'm with you. Joshua, understand you're not going to do this in your strength. Understand, Joshua, you're not defeating the enemy because you're kind of some kind of stud. It's not about you, Joshua. It's going to be all about me. I'm with you. I'm not leaving you. I'm not abandoning you. I'm not departing from you. Every step you take, I'm right there with you. You're not alone. But the kicker is this. You would think, okay, God said it once. You think that would be enough. Look at verse 9. He says, I have, have I not commanded you? So that tells us Joshua's got a, he's got a choice to make. And here it is. Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened. Do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. You see, how many of you know God knows you a little bit better than you know yourself? Joshua's probably confident in himself. He probably remembered 40 years earlier how he went into the land of Canaan, came back with Caleb and gave a great report. He probably was like, I'm okay, but God's probably looking at his heart going, hmm, there's a little bit of wavering there, Joshua. I already just told you I would be with you, but I'm sensing there's something more in there that you don't see. You don't quite get me yet. And so God repeats himself. Joshua, listen. Be strong and courageous. you got to hold firmly on to something. Hold firmly on to something, and it's this promise. Wherever you go, I will be with you. And here's the thing. God makes these promises throughout his word. He tells his people time and time again, I am with you. When after Abraham... We have Isaac, and as Isaac is out and about, God tells Isaac, fear not, for I am with you. In Judges chapter 6, the nation of Israel has been oppressed by the Midianites. And Gideon, just a young man, and he's hiding because he doesn't want to be taken captive by the Midianites. And an angel of the Lord shows up to, to, to Gideon, and he says, oh, by the way, Gideon, God has called you to take an army and defeat the Midianites. And Gideon's like, who am I? I can't do this. And the angel in Judges chapter 6 says, Gideon, don't be afraid, for the Lord your God is with you. When the Israelites were coming out of captivity, out of Babylon, and they were coming back to Jerusalem. And if you remember, I've, as I've taught on this, they're coming back to a city that is demolished. They're coming back to a temple that has been destroyed, a wall that has been torn down. They're coming back to really um, emptiness. But in Isaiah chapter 41, God gives the exiles this promise. He says, fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. You see, God promises his people, I am with you. And guess what? It doesn't end at the Old Testament. It continues into the New Testament. 
It continues with God's people, the church, that God continues to promise us he will be with us. Because here's the thing. Matthew chapter 1 begins with the declaration. It begins first with the birth. Anybody knows who's birthed in Matthew chapter 1? Jesus' birth. And it says in Matthew chapter 1 that Jesus will be called what? Do you know? Emmanuel. Which means what? God with us. So that's in Matthew chapter 1. And then when you read all the way through Matthew, the book of Matthew, you come to Matthew chapter 8, the very last chapter in the book of Matthew, and you come to the very last sentence of chapter 28 of the entire book of Matthew. It has one more declaration by Jesus. Does anybody know what it is? He says, behold, I am with you always till the end of the age. You see, parentheses. One parenthesis on the front, one on the back, and it's all about God being with us. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5, quotes Joshua chapter 1, verse 5. And it says this, the Lord will never leave you nor forsake you. You see, that's the comfort you and I have when you enter into the unknown. When you enter into the crisis, when you enter into the pain, when you enter into the suffering, and guess what? It could be good things that you're entering into, just unknown. Here's what you need to realize. You're not alone. Let me ask you, how many of you are first-time empty nesters? Anybody? Your child's graduating, leaving, and you're going to be an empty nester. Do we have any? Who are empty nesters in here then? Okay, we've got empty nesters. When you finally became an empty nester for the very first time, your last child up and moved out, some of you were probably like, it's about time. But some of you sat down on the couch and you cried. Some of you, your heart, you, just, you felt like you couldn't breathe. And you were like, I feel alone. Sure, you have your spouse, but you still had that sense of like, I feel alone. You see, it's in that moment that you need to realize, I feel alone, but I'm not. God is still with me in the middle of this. He's with me in the middle of my pain. He's with me in the middle of my anguish. He's with me when my heart feels heavy. He is with me. He ha- you see, remember something I've talked about throughout this series is that you have a spiritual enemy. And the enemy wants to convince you God doesn't care about you. God doesn't love you. Man, you've messed up so many times. God's forgotten about you. He's abandoned you. He's quit on you. He's departed from you. He's left you. And that's a lie that we buy into so very easily, isn't it? And we just keep on thinking about it. We convince ourselves, God doesn't love me. He's not with me anymore. You see, when I know that God is with me no matter what, He will never leave me, never forsake me. You notice in all these promises, God doesn't put a little asterisk. And he's like, I will never leave you if, and then you got to roll, you never misbehave. I will never leave you if you are extra good. No, no, no. It's I will never leave you done. But God, what if I, no, I will never leave you. Okay, I'll never forsake you. I will be with you wherever you go. Okay, that, that's, a, that's a promise, and we can't go wrong with that. And so 
When I am in the, when the, the enemy is lying to me, when I know that God leaves, will never leave me, never forsake me, is always with me no matter what, and the enemy is trying to tell me he has abandoned you, he's trying to lie to me, he doesn't care about you, he doesn't love you, because listen, if he really loved you, cared for you, you wouldn't be here. If he was really with you, you wouldn't be in the storm. So he tries to convince you and I, he's gone. But if I know the truth that he will never leave me, never forsake me, he was with me no matter where I go, guess what I can do? I can take that truth and I dispel the lie. And then I know, no, God is with me. And when I know that God is with me, I know that he's leading and he's guiding no matter what I go through. I know that he is with me in the middle of, as Isaiah says, when I'm going through the waters, I'm not going to drown because I know he's with me. When I'm in the fire, I know I'm not going to burn up because why? He is with me. I know when I know that God is with me, he's never going to leave me. I'm not alone in this. I know that he is sovereign and his perfect will is being done in my life. Why? Because I know he's with me. He's for me. He goes before me. He will never leave nor forsake me. Listen, when you are stepping into the unknown, you step into the unknown of cancer, you can have hope in that, knowing that God is still with you in that. When you step into the unknown of a financial crisis, you can have hope in that because you know the promise of knowing God's with me in this. He's with me in this and he's directed me in this. And man, I don't understand, but I know he's guiding through this. When you step into the unknown of being that empty nester, you step into the unknown of of someone dying in your life and now you feel alone. You're not alone. And you can know, man, God, you're in this. You're with me in the middle of all this. And in that unknown, I can have hope because I know the presence of God is with me. Here's number three. So I find hope in the promises of God. I find hope in the presence of God. And then I find hope in the pages of God's word. I find hope in the pages of God's word. Look at verses seven and eight. He says, only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from, the, do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. God is now giving Moses really the ultimate instruction of, hey, he's like, Joshua, wherever you go, whatever you do, if you truly want to know what's the key to your life, it is my word. 
If you truly want to know how to have the, 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 the peace, the hope, how, do you, how to, have, to be successful as you go forward, it's in my word. And so he gives him four instructions about his word. And here are these four. And understand, how many of you know it just doesn't apply to Joshua? Okay? These four instructions apply to you and me today as well as a believer in Christ. And that's why the book of James tells us, don't be a merely listen to the word, but do what it says. So these apply to you and I today. So here are these four instructions. The first instruction is this, um, do it. That's where God starts, just right off the bat, okay? And he, he, he's not, he, he, how many of you know God doesn't mince words, okay? He's not making a suggestion here. He's not like, hey, hey Joe, or Josh, not Joe, I guess. If you feel like it, it fits into your schedule, um, do what I say. No, he's like, Joshua, do it. Because look at verse 7. He says, be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law. How much of the law? So not 85% of it. Or not the ones that he's comfortable with or the ones he likes. All right? He's like, um, do according to all of this. Okay? Do it all. And um, do we understand that that same principle applies to you and me? To do God's word. Now, here's the, the weird time we're living in. We're living in a weird, funky time where um, telling Christians to do God's word comes across as unkind. It comes across as being judgmental. It comes across as being legalistic. It comes across as, dude, we live in an age of grace. Why are you telling me to do God's word? Here's the thing. Even though we are under the umbrella of grace and under the umbrella of mercy, doesn't mean we stop doing the word of God. It doesn't mean that when we, we read scripture and, and God says, let no one wholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only that which is useful to build others up, that doesn't mean and go, no, I'm getting on Facebook and I'm spewing all kinds of garbage out because that's what I want to do. Do, you, do we understand, and, and think about this for a moment, if you were to just boil this whole thing down, strip it all away about doing God's word, it comes to this. It's either doing God's word or not. It's either God's way or whose way? My way. It's either God's will or my will. That's really what it's all about, okay? So when it comes to making this decision, um, when, I, when I read the scripture, when I see God tell me to do something or not to do something, it boils down to you and I making the decision, do I want to do it God's way or am I going to live life my way, okay? And, and we need to understand, let me ask you, is that... When you decide to live life on your terms, you don't want to follow God's word. And here's, let me ask you this. When you step into the unknown, you're going through the crisis. 
you're going through the health crisis, the financial crisis, whatever it may be, you're going through something. Do you ever find yourself not wanting to do what God says? All of a sudden, I don't want to go to church. I don't want to go to worship. I'm just going to stay home. You know what? I don't want to connect with other believers. I'm not going to be part of a small group. I'm not going to be part of Sunday school. I'm not going to do any of that. I, I Forget it. I'm, you know what? We're going through a financial crisis right now. We're going through some financial pain, so you know what? I'm not going to give anymore. And we stop doing what God tells us to do. Now, how many of you know that when you are not doing what God says or, or um, either, either we're doing what we just want, we're not doing what God wants, how many of you know the Holy Spirit's going to convict you about that? The Holy Spirit is not going to let you as a believer of God just live how you want and disobey God's word without bringing some conviction. And so let me ask you, how much hope do you have? How much joy do you have when you feel the Holy Spirit convicting you? If you're really being convicted, you're going to, you're going to squirm. You're not going to have a lot of joy because the Holy Spirit's going to be telling you, don't do that. Do this. Listen to God. Obey God. Do what his word says. And the Holy Spirit's, until you do it enough where you have walked away from God enough where the Holy Spirit you don't even hear anymore. The reality is there's not a lot of hope and joy when you and I decide I'm going to do my own thing. We need to do the word of God. Here's the second thing. So he says, first do it, and then he says, follow it. So he says there at the end of verse 7, he says, do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left that you may have good success wherever you go. He's like, okay, Moses, or Moses, Joshua, see what Exodus did to me? This is Moses in my head. He's like, Joshua, here, here, here's the path. It's my word. Do not turn to the left or to the right. This is the road because what's on the left and the right? If you're in a, on a road, what's on the left and the right? ditches. And he's like, I'm telling you, Josh, if you get off of this path, you're in a ditch. And the moment you're in a ditch, you're in a bad place. So he says, do not turn from the left or to the right, but just keep in my word. Follow it. And you notice he says, if you follow my word, you'll have great success. Now, if you go down in verse 9, he even says that as you do the word of God, you're going to be prosperous and successful. Now, this is these verses have turned into the the health and wealth um, teaching that, hey, if you're just being obedient to God's word, God's going to make you a millionaire. God's going to make you wealthy, rich, and you'll have success wherever you go. That's not what this is talking about. Now, that, that, does that mean that God doesn't bless? He does. But when it talks about success here, do you know what, what it really means in Hebrew? To make wise decisions. God's telling Joshua, Joshua, when you follow my word and you're not in a ditch, you are going to make wise decisions. And that's what's going to make your life successful. Let me ask you, have you ever made a bad decision in life? Anybody other than me? How well did that go for you? You make a bad decision. You know darn well what God's word tells you to do, but you made the decision, nope, not going to do it. And you turn to the left, you've turned to the right, you make a bad decision, and you end up in a ditch. And then we scratch our heads like, why am I here? And then what do we want to do? We want to blame God. And God said, I wonder if God's ever sitting there just going, I told you what to do. 
you made the bad decision. Now you're blaming me? I don't think so. You see, we make bad decisions because we decide not to follow the path of God's word. And when we turn to the left and when we turn to the right, we're making our own decisions. And guess what? Let me ask you, um, how much joy and hope is there sitting in a ditch? How much joy and hope is there when you make bad decisions and you're not following the word? You know, how many of you know God's word teaches us about money? And when we choose not to follow God's instructions about money and we just do our own thing and we end up in a ditch financially, how much joy and hope is there in that? When we, we know what God says about relationships and how to talk to people and how to treat people, when we decide not to do that and we want to treat people badly and say things you know, harshly to people and we want to get on Facebook and say all kinds of jibber-jabber nastiness and then we're wondering, well, why are people mad at me? How much joy and hope is in that? You see, we got to follow the word of God. And here's the third thing. So we need to do it. We need to follow it. But we also need to speak it. In verse 8, he says, This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. Not depart from your mouth. That word depart, it means uh, to cease or to be removed. And so what God is telling Joshua when he says, don't let this word depart from your mouth. He's like, don't let this word stop ceasing coming out of your mouth. He's like, don't let it be removed. Man, let the word of God, let my law always be coming out of your mouth. Talk about it. Talk about the word. Talk about me. Talk about the things I have done. Let the word of God come out of your mouth. You see, this is why it's so important and why it's valuable to be part of a small group or a Sunday school ministry. Do you know why? Guess what's being talked about in those things? God's word. So commercial break. Tonight, um, Norman Terry Fogarty's group is now meeting again, and we are going to be meeting here at the church tonight at 630. I'm going to be leading it. I would invite everybody, if you want to come tonight, 630 here at the church, we're going to be having a small group. We're going to do this as a study tonight. On our opening day, June 13th, we're going to have adult Sunday school back up and running again. I would encourage you to get, get here early. Be part of that if you can. Why? Because the word of God is going to be spoken, all right? And, and guess what happens when we are speaking the word of God together? We encourage one another. We build one another up. And guess what that does? It gives us hope. That's why, that's why in, in Romans chapter 10, verse 17, it says, Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So the more we hear, the more we speak the word, our faith and our hope is built up. And then lastly, so do it, follow it, speak it. Third one, fourth one, think about it. It says, the book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night. Meditate on it. Now, the idea of meditating is not like what what meditating is today. It's not the idea of emptying out your mind and, and you think about nothing or, or, visual, or visualizing yourself as a better person. It's not that. Meditating on the word of God biblically actually has two different uh, ideas. One, it means to mutter. And, and, and the idea is talking about it. It's actually speaking it under your breath. So it's almost like when you're reading it, you're, you're just reading it quietly to yourself. 
So that's one way to meditate on it. But the other way is actually to regurgitate it. It's kind of like a cow chewing on its cud. All right. So to regurgitate the word of God, it's actually to think about it all the time. You're just dwelling on it, pondering on it. Okay. Remember, the enemy wants you to always ponder uh, the problem. He wants you to always think about the crisis. He wants to think, you to think about how much pain you're in and, and how horrible life is and how miserable you are. And he wants you to get your, get your mind off of, off of the word of God because the mind, as I taught, is the battlefield. And you have a weapon. What is your weapon spiritually? The word of God. And the way you take the weapon of the word of God is you've got to get it into your mind. And the more you dwell on it, you're thinking about it. You're constantly just throughout your day. You're in your car. Think about verses. Think about God being with you all the time. And you're just, you're out there mowing the lawn before you go to bed. Whatever you're doing, you can constantly be thinking and just turning over and regurgitating the word of God in your mind, letting it go over and over. Psalm chapter 77 verse 12 says, I will ponder your work and meditate on your mighty deeds. You see, when you're going through it, when you're walking and stepping into that unknown and you start to sense fear and dread, worry, getting anxious, you need to understand those, those are things the enemy is creating. Okay, and you and you don't have to sit there and just ponder on that and, and, and feel I, 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 I'm just so worried. I'm so str- change your mindset, ponder, meditate, think about constantly about God and his works and who he is. And what he has said, the things that he has promised. And I'm telling you, the more you do that, and as you step into that unknown, you're going to have peace. You're going to have hope. Your hope doesn't change because your circumstances change. Your hope changes because you find it in the promises of God. You find it in the presence of God. And you find it in the pages of God's word. Amen. Let's all stand. Let me pray. Let's get ready to close.